0: Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross from TMS, uh, Zero Ducks, Given, Wisdom, Cricket Monthly and Whatnot. And I'm joined as ever I am, but this time for the first time in 2023, by the Chief Cricket Writer of the Press Association, the Puff Pastry Hangman himself, with his sound excluders on his head, a little bit like um, Welsh darts ace Gerwin Price, (laughs) <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a better result for Rory Dollard than we did for Gerwin. Happy New Year, Rory.
1: Happy New Year, Daniel. I, I don't wear these because I routinely am barracked uh, here in the house, unlike Gerwin Gowin Price. <laughs> I, I wear them because I like them. And I was offered the chance to have uh, the little ear pods for Christmas, like you've got. And I mm. shunned the option I don't like them. Uh, and I instead got new cushions, new ear cushions. So oh. I think it you makes go. you
0: look altogether more sort of cuddly like that. Oh, well, so well, I'd rather you keep them. I think it's very nice. And a little bit like, it
1: uh, it. Oh, what's that Doctor Who chap? Iron Man or something. Oh, yeah. I have oh, no idea what anyway, you're talking
0: about now. No, mean neither <laughs> really, as you can tell.
1: Right. Um, today, <laughs> to ladies <laughs> and gentlemen,
0: we will. Yes, let's move on to the cricket. Um, because today we are going to have a very quick look back at where we find ourselves now 12 months on from where we found ourselves 12 months ago at the beginning of 2022. It was a very different scene from where it is in 2023. And then we should be looking forward to what is coming up in 2023 in a very broad way. There's some huge stuff. There's an Ashes, a Home Ashes. There's a World Cup, a 50-over World Cup. There's a Women's T20 World Cup. That's coming up very shortly. And then finally, we're going to look at, well, potential winners and losers In 2023, who might shine, who might come from nowhere and who really has uh, 2022 done for? Uh, England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for English cricket content. We'll be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please do rate, review and subscribe. Thank you for joining Cricket's conversation. Now, first of all, a few apologies for my croaky nature. Um, a new year, a new bout of COVID. It seems that we're just going to get it every year. Uh, Rory, you had it this time last year, symptomlessly. I've got it this year, not symptomlessly. I am coughing and hacking and shuddering like a Piccadilly line train in the deepest depths of the London Underground. And so if my ribs suddenly explode and all my vital organs fall to the floor live on air, I apologise. I apologise. Uh, But let's hope that that doesn't happen. (laughs) Let's look forward to a health-filled and magnificent 2023. For England, they can look forward to that. When this time last year, Rory, just remind me, who was in charge of English cricket, both men's and women's, on, well, at the time of recording, January the 5th, 2022?
1: Yeah, well, you you say that around this time last year, I was uh, in a hotel room in Sydney with covid unable to get out of there. Um, and it does feel like things have changed a wee bit for me at least, but it is easy because everyone who's following the cricket has been really caught up in this roller coaster of, of, of 2022 that the success, the change, the dynamic way that England approached their cricket. And it is just worth, I think in this first podcast of, of the new year to look back at where we were 12 months previously. And the cast list is, it's unbelievable. It's, England's test captain was Joe Root. England's coach was Chris Silverwood. The director of cricket was Ashley Giles. The chief exec was Tom Harrison. That um, <laughs> Lisa Kitely was in charge of the women's team. Almost anybody who you could have looked at to speak to about the direction of travel for English cricket is no longer in their job. I think there was no, there was no chair. Uh, I think the closest we can get to somebody who is in a, a sort of similar rule to the world last year is Paul Collingwood. He he's about the last man standing at the party, which is is kind of is kind of bizarre. Really, they only had one coach instead of two. Chris Silver was, was obviously there, so it's been a profound change. And and it's actually struck me at the back end of the year that it does feel like the women's team is is really picked up that that baton from the men's team and and the. the just from speaking to the players and the coaching staff in that West Indies tour, which we have covered in reasonable depth, the the, the language, the, the messaging was very, very similar. This feels now like a pretty unified English cricket approach. And actually it seems to stretch across formats, across teams, across genders. It's 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 been a profound time of change in this last year and, and just worth, I thought, Give it that one last thought before we throw ourselves headlong into the next lot.
0: Well, can I just uh, put one name out there that has is starting to get a little bit of the credit, but I don't think he really wants it, um, and that's Rob Key, because Rob Key is an absolutely great example. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast or or on other ones of um, of where we get very excited about expertise and the English cricket establishment. Has always looked to sort of business people in the last twenty odd years. Before that, they used to look for old, crusty old ex-players like Gabby Allen and Plum Warner, and there'd be committee men with gin and tonics and ties and blazers, and they knew nothing about the commercial aspects of cricket. They believed that everybody should just be honoured to play for England, should only be paid twopence halfpenny for doing it, and only get called up at the very last minute. If they got dropped after scoring sixty, they shouldn't. They didn't need a, a, an explanation. Um, and that there was no point in making any money out of cricket because it was it was superior to that. It was God's own calling. And then in the sort of mid-90s with Lord McLaurin, um, English cricket and indeed cricket around the world started to employ administrators who were business-focused to the exclusion of anybody else. You know, Lord McLaurin had his uh, ties with Sainsbury's, and then we had, you know, Tom Harrison, and he wore a great double-breasted suit, and it wasn't it marvellous that he'd sat around board meetings which were all about maximising profit because that's exactly what cricket needed. Well, it didn't need that either. The pendulum had swung from one set of completely out-of-touch people to a, another group of people who didn't understand that sport is not a business like any other. It relies on mutual competition apart from anything else. So, you know, the avowed purpose of a, of cricket is not to wipe out the opposition because then you've got nobody to play. <laughs> and what we What we have now found ourselves with is one of the most surprising and remarkable appointments in Rob Key, who has come from within cricket, who is not business-minded, but my God, he is cricket-minded. I mean, he was deep in the weeds at Kent County Cricket Club. He knew everything about the members. He knew about county cricket. He knew about international cricket from having played it. He knew about sport and the fundamentals. And what he's done, it seems to me, is recognise that How sports progress is if the players that play that sport put on a damn good show. And in England, England's cricketers were not putting on a damn good show. I don't mean they were just losing, because any side can lose. But, you know, if you lose like Newcastle used to lose football matches in the mid-90s, if you lose 5-4, you'll still get 45,000 people turning up to watch. But if you lose at 2.2 and over in Grenada against a pretty Mediocre West Indies side. If you go out Ooh, limply geez. in the ashes, that's what they a good were. Problem.
1: That that word that wasn't that the exact word that are all. Yeah, it was the exact word. It was the exact word. But
0: yeah, but I think I think you'll find that, that even some of our very good friends on West Indian podcasts would acknowledge that their side is not exactly one of the best. Yeah, but they don't want an English person in, telling them. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that, that's true. But but England put up an absolutely enfeebled performance against them, and they, and they put out an enfeebled performance against pretty much everybody. And what Rob Key appears to have done and this is partly from talking to Collingwood and and McCullough myself, is give those people in charge of the team the freedom to express themselves and to realise that sport is about joy and about spectacle. And that is what we need to judge England on this year. So I would say that, that I I mention that because as we look forward to what's going to come in 2023, I, I would say that in 2022, we might have been saying, well, What England needs is a technically perfect batter at the top of the order. Rory Burns can't be the answer. Haseeb Hamid can't be the answer. We've got to find somebody who can get in behind the ball, can leave a ball well, can be 20 or 50, but then go through the gears, that sort of thing. That's not what we're talking about in 2023. What we're looking at and what we're going to be looking at over the course of the next two segments of our podcast is who are the people who are going to fit into the template of entertaining the public. Would
1: you say that's fair enough? It is. I would qualify it a little bit. And I would say that it's about the overall. And I think if you find a player at the top of the order who goes a bit slower and doesn't hit at 100 every, every 100 balls, but enables the people who are more comfortable doing that to have their day... No problem. Now, I don't think they're explicitly looking for those players and they want players not to get caught in a rut. And I think we saw that with the likes of Alex Lees, who isn't a natural stroke maker. They invited him to open up and it did work at times. Not overall, his record was pretty average, but you know he, he did find a way. So I think there's a little bit more to it than that. On your Rob Key point, I would also say, I think in 2022, just as we're having a little cast over our shoulders, I think he was the defining character in English cricket overall. And I think that he outstrips McCullum, and I think he outstrips Stokes because he appointed them both for a start. <laughs> he, he put them together. He, he laid the groundwork. He put them together. He set them parameters and the parameters he set were be as optimistic as you want. See See how far you can take this thing. He said it right at the very start. We we're in for a ride. He didn't say that we were going to get to the end point with the car intact. He just said that we were going to go on a ride. And, and I really do think that in 2022, his uh, common sense, his cricket, nouse, his de way of seeing things in, as a sport, as a spectacle, as a, as a product, was was what set the template for how England went about their business. And it's the shadow of that is going to lay right across 2023. But I expect Rob Key to be a much less visible, sort of influential person in 2023 than he was in 22. Because when he came in, he said, I've got a few jobs here. I've got to set the tone, pick the right people, and get out of the way and 2023 might be the year that he gets out the way and leaves them to it. He's mm. already given up the selectors job which I think he should have kept. I think he's been the best England selector that I can remember. Rob Key and the time he's done it. I, and he's I brought in Luke Wright consulted,
0: right. don't you? Oh yeah, I, no he's he's
1: he, yeah yeah. He's on he's yeah, he'll have a, he'll have a good voice on that. But he nobody would have argued if he said part of my job is that I'm now the head selector. Nobody would have questioned that. So I think this might be the year that he gets out the way and lets the thing lets the thing kind of Take its own cost,
0: And you know what? When he first got in, my last, my last um, word on this, when he first got in, people said, oh, he knows absolutely nothing about administration. He's just a player. Well, I get that because I'm a big fan of experts. But you know, I think everyone was looking through the wrong end of the telescope. And actually, the people who aren't very good at administrating cricket are people who don't understand sport, as I mentioned earlier. And they may understand the economics of supply and demand economics in a supermarket but they don't understand the very peculiar and different requirements of sport administration so to me he was an expert and was perfectly appointed for his role
1: also he's not ordering he's rob listen rob key's not ordering the sugar sachets for lords you know like there's a flipping thousand people who do that at dcb his job was the cricket and the cricket's going great
0: Well, hopefully there will be slightly fewer than 1,000 now that uh, Thompson and Gould are also in place because those are people that we we haven't had time to talk about. We will be talking about them more this year, I'm pretty darn sure, as they've been reunited and what a juicy combo they also look. Uh, But it's time for us to take a short break. After that, we are going to look ahead to what's in store for 2023. I'm Jared Kimber and I host two podcasts on 99.94. Red Inca, which is chats on trends and stories within the game with a weekly Q&A where I can be asked about anything from a time-traveling Don Bradman to which cricket ground serves the best food. And Double Century, I look at the historical stories that make cricket what it is today. You can search for either of them in your favourite podcast platform or on the 99.94 DM app. Welcome back. Well, I've already mentioned it. First up apart from a, a men's one-day international series, is what well, I suppose says the women's under-19 World Cup, but then the women's T20 World Cup. Uh, there's a short tour of New Zealand, just a couple of test matches. England play Ireland in a one-off match in the summer. They play the men's Ashes. They play a 50-over World Cup. There's a lot on England's plate, and it's very, very varied. Um, we began 2022 with a lot of people saying, looking at the England fixture list, and thinking that it was completely feasible that England would lose all seven matches. Firstly, against New Zealand and then India, the two World Test Championship finalists from 2021, and then South Africa, a resurgent side with a great bowling attack. They ended up winning six out of seven. They ended up going to Pakistan, winning three out of three. This, I know we are not supposed to look at the Ashes all the time. We're supposed to look at the upcoming challenge, and the upcoming challenge is New Zealand away in a two-test series. But you'd have to have a heart of stone not to be looking at the Ashes and see that as kind of like there are three achievements left for Stokes's test team, aren't there? And that's winning the Ashes at home, winning the Ashes away, and beating India away. Now, those are three of the toughest things to do in test cricket for England. And he's got a chance now, having put some magnificent markers down on his CV, of, of ticking off one of those.
1: I think it's not unreasonable to look at the, uh, the year ahead and say that the Ashes is the the main event. It's the main course, you know. That that's okay. It, saying it, saying it three years out, that's what English cricket does wrong sometimes. And certainly, he was not. He didn't always get the easiest hand, but probably in retrospect, Chris Silverwood's and to an extent, Joe Root, the sort of their union was a bit. They talked too much too soon about the Ashes and they didn't look after business. Uh, This time, we're sitting in January. The Ashes is coming. It's a double Ashes because the women and the men are dovetailing. It's going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to look around and not see England play in Australia, um, which is exciting. Uh, And also on a sporting level, it feels like the thing England need to get their hands on because the white ball team are double world champions right now as we speak there is a world cup coming up but like if england if england don't go and conquer india which is not no easy feat for, for an english team if they don't go to india and walk away as champions uh, you know they've won they've won two pretty big trophies with this team and i don't think we'd hold it too hard against them uh i look at the t20 team and it's in a bit of and it's a quiet time i think The men's team hasn't won the Ashes since 15, pre-Brexit. We've we've lived several lifetimes. Coincidence? (laughs) Well, there's been no Brexit dividend, has there, on on that front? No. But but you know what I mean? It's a different lifetime. That's a lot of cycles of English cricket have rolled through since England won the series that that they set their store by. So I think if English cricket decides men's cricket and women's cricket, because I think... I think unseating Australia in the women's game in that three format points series would be a huge achievement. Probably... Well, I, I didn't.
0: I didn't mention that at the top because cause actually England are massive, massive underdogs for that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the way women's cricket is constructed, Australia are so far out in front of anybody else that what I think England's women are looking... Well, not the players themselves. They'll say they're looking to win. But I think people who follow English women's cricket are looking for is a tighter-fought series on home soil. But much as you said about England's men playing the World Cup in India, I don't think anybody's expecting England's women to walk away with an Ashes victory. If they do, then, well, pandemonium and glee and beacons will be lit from Land's End to John O'Groats.
1: I mean, the Test match... The Test match is huge, really, because it's going to have five days, proper big ground, Trent Bridge, good crowd... I would highly expect a really, really good crowd. And then that is weighted. You know, the points system is weighted towards that test Ooh. match. And so often the weighting of that test match has been irrelevant because it's been a draw and it's been yep. destined to be a draw almost structurally. So like they say, oh, look at all this. Look, look at what you could have won if you won the test match. We're not going to let you to win the test match because it's four days, a bit of rain about. So the way that England are going about it, and, and I said earlier in the in the podcast, John Lewis and Heather Knight, they are talking... Positive, aggressive McCullum Storksy cricket. They're going to go into that test match with that mindset, I strongly believe, of we're here to get a result. Because winning that test match is the way you win the Ashes.
0: Uh, well, and they have actually nearly pulled off a test win against Australia in the last Ashes series. It was slightly contrived. They got a, a not exactly generous declaration, but a declaration they might not have been expecting they should have lost the test, then they should have won the test, then they probably should have lost the test. All in the space of about an hour. It was a thrilling event, but with five days, as you say, that could be that could be the game changer. Um, T20, the T20 World Cup that comes before that will give us just a little bit of an inkling, I think, as to how the John Lewis revolution is going, but it's early days in that. So England have got four or five months after that to build on however that T20 World Cup goes. They've got a refreshed lineup and they're going to still have experience within there, the likes of Nat Siver, Heather Knight, Catherine Brunt, Amy Jones, Tammy Beaumont supplemented, we hope by Freya Kemp if she's uh, recovers from her injury and Alice capsey uh, perhaps not for the um, T20 World Cup but for the Ashes certainly and then youngsters like Lauren Bell, Izzy Wong as well so it, it's got a lot of excitement I I would say that that's one of those things we're going to be just watching the runes for but going in with hope more than expectation for the men's ashes the problem is that when England have won nine out of ten and when they've won three out of three in Pakistan when they've beaten all of the best teams actually in the world in the last um, six months apart from Australia then that would just be so disappointing because you know the way Stokes plays there's not going to be a draw so they could lose 5-0. They could win 5-0. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an exciting prospect. I haven't actually been this excited about an Ashes since yeah. 2005. When, and the reason is because in 2005, I think I thought that England were finally good enough to give Australia a damn good show. Mm. And that was what was so exciting about the Baston Test and so, dis, so, so depressing when you thought Australia were going to win. Because so you thought, oh, no. Even then, they're going to go 2-0 up and we're still going to lose, but we're better than that. Well, this is sort of my fear for this series as well, is that I think England are actually good enough, but the way they play, they could be 2-0 down in the in the twinkling of an eye. Mm. And it's just going to be a matter of the, the fans and the players and everybody else. I think the players will be less of a problem. The players have bought in. They're going to keep going. Yeah. They're going to keep on doing the things that they do. But for pundits like us, and for fans, and for the Twitterati, they mustn't, at the first sign of a 130 all-out, plays 380 mm. with Labachain and Smith getting tons, suddenly keen and wail. But what I want to ask you, though, is, look, what does England need to beat Australia? Do they, do they have the ingredients on the pitch already? Or is there something that needs to come right for them? Is there somebody that needs to come through and play in their ashes that just, like, finishes that team off?
1: If, you, if we were playing Hangman right now and you had a name in your head, I think the first letter I would choose would be J. Then it'd, <laughs> Do you reckon? Then it would be O. <laughs> and then it would be F-R-A. Listen, <laughs> Joffre Archer is add something. And I think... I think amongst most keen-eyed sort of fans, they know that, and everybody's sort of just desperately sort of crossing their fingers quite quietly that he gets back in the mix. Some people, maybe more casual fan, I've heard a few people, I've had the conversation in the pub. Somebody said to me that just before Christmas, because people love to chat cricket to you, <laughs> said, Archer though, is he really that good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. <laughs> so... I think maybe because it's been so long and so much water has passed under the bridge, there has been a little bit of... of the, odd, the odd person might have forgotten what the promise of Joffre Archer was because it didn't get a lot of chance to really establish it, but it was, it was there in that 19 Lords test. And if that Joffre Archer can get back in the game, that finishes the team, doesn't it? I think it, it adds the extra weapon the, the incisive person who can take huge advantage of helpful conditions and can maybe just get into the game when Smith's on a hundred and, and turn the thing so, around.
0: So, so Rory, that, that means that, you know, we are, we are going to be on Jofra watch throughout yeah. this year because Jofra <laughs> yeah. watch begins at the end of January with one day internationals. It continues with further Jofra watch in more one day internationals against Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Then it's, how many games can he play because there are five test matches England play back to back as well as a game against Ireland don't forget before mm-hmm. that and and because we've mentioned it a little bit already before we move on to part 3 the world cup is in india and if there's one man who could actually give england that that x factor in india it's jofra isn't it you know jofra and mark wood in India with Adil Rashid, Moeen Ali and the batting they've got with all those players who've played in IPL, they know the conditions inside out. We're kind of not exactly written off England in India, but with that, with those two bowlers and that batting lineup, they could then do the unthinkable. And, you know, there's going to be a Joss Butler there who's not getting in the test team, who's going to be lobbying strongly for his best side to go and produce a feat every bit as remarkable as beating Australia in the ashes will be winning the World Cup in India.
1: Yeah. So there is going to be Joffre watch. There's going to be wood watch because if we've been really, you know, we, we can be excited and optimistic and all that, but they're not, no one's going to play everything. None of those players Stokes too. He might come back for the world cup. Who knows? But those people with those broad, broad skills are going to be parceled out over the course of the year. And I don't even think it's about necessarily unleashing the dream team of Wood and Archer in the same team in the Ashes, because the way those games are, the way those games are stacked up, real quick, it's it's a question of England being able to rotate them in and out and always have one of them and always have that weapon. So yeah, it's um, you know we've talked a lot about Joffrey Archer in the last two years, and now we're going to get to watch him for a bit, and that's even better.
0: Can't wait! It's time for our final break. After that, we're going to be looking at who might be the winners. Who might be the losers and who, for whom, I should say, might 2023 be this one song?
1: Whether it's missing flights or retirements out of the blue, whether it's resignations or bans, as the old saying goes, there's never a quiet day in West Indies cricket. So make sure you listen to West Indies on 99.94 to stay up
0: to date with all the latest fallout with the team's. In Maroon. Welcome back. Well, um, it was a pretty obvious (laughs) last last segue there. So I'm going to segue straight into what it was I was thinking about. Um, (laughs) July the 30th, 2023, at the Oval, if it goes that far. Final day of the Ashes, England against Australia. Broad and Anderson, between them, 1,200 wickets in the bag. Anderson having just taken his 700th to become the first and probably last quick bowler ever to take 700 test wickets. Is that the point that we see them walking off arm in arm, lap of the ground, an almost more tearful farewell than Henry Blofeld received at Lord's (laughs) (laughs) for for all of the the achievements of the great man? Is that going to be it? Are we going to be waving goodbye? Are they going to announce their retirements? Uh, And... If so, will it be both of them announced in retirement? Will it be one? Will it be neither?
1: It's this this conversation could have been had at any point in the last five years. And has been. Has been had in the last five mm. years. Sort of casting forward. The the number of times we've poured through the fixture list and said, Oh, when's the when's the Trent Bridge test? <laughs> because surely Broadie will <laughs> go. Or like, oh, old Trafford, oh yeah, James Anderson end, you know.
0: Well, there was talk of him going last year, wasn't there? There was, there was talk, of, There's always talk. <laughs> of, of last season being broads, well, not Andersons, but, but broads. Yeah. But the, the revival in both of them under McCullum and Stokes and the genuine joy and pleasure they're getting, I, I wonder if, it's, if their retirement is much further away. Certainly Anderson. And, and actually with Anderson, even if he does decide that the Ashes is going to be his last series, I'm not sure he's going to let everybody know because I'm not sure he's the kind of guy who wants to send off.
1: Yeah, I don't. So what I don't think is I don't think either of them will be really strongly thinking about that right now because there's too much to head. You can't go into an Ashes, I don't think. I mean, I know that Yossi's en masse did it, but I don't think players like that can afford to go into the Ashes thinking, oh, if we win this, I'll go. Or if we, you know, if we don't win this, I'll go. I just think they have to focus on the thing in front of them. And I don't think, genuinely, having having asked James Anderson and, and watched many other people do it in press conferences and, and huddles over the years, I genuinely believe him that he's not thinking about it. That's not to say that he sits down in the changing room at the Oval with the urn in his hand, all been well, you know, and says, oh, that was it. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... I, I, I do get the feeling that if that decision is made, I don't think there'll be a huge announcement, you know, a big lap of the ground with flag kids waving flags. Thank you for your service. I think I think he'll make it either either of those guys will probably make the decision. And I do feel like Broad's probably closer. He just had his you know, just had his first child as well and done a bit of studio work. I think he can probably see he can see the next chapter a little more clearer, probably. But I think the decision is, is more likely to be made with a beer in the hand, sitting in a team circle. Win, win or loss under their belt with, with the rearview mirror. I don't think it'll be thrown forward. There's a couple of people who might not get the chance. You know, how do you think Chris Walk stacks up this year? He's put in so much effort for England and, and done so many good things, but is the team moving away from him a little bit? I don't know.
0: Well, in Test Cricket... You do get that feeling a little bit, even though he's he's kind of ideal for Brendan McCullum. Um, he's going to bat very aggressively and and do that at number eight, number nine is exactly what the England team needs at the moment because whilst we've adored watching them play, they've had a horrible tail for quite some time now. You, you know, when Ollie Robinson's batting at eight, I mean, they assure me, Paul Collingwood especially assures me that Ollie Robinson can bat. Well, I've no doubt about that, but He seems determined to prove that he can't (laughs) by playing some of the most extraordinary shots you've ever seen in between. It has to be said some genuine glimpses of quality. Uh, So yeah, I mean, Chris Wokes is somebody I think who may struggle though to get back into the test team simply because what England will be looking at, I think in terms of their bowling attack is going to be a spinner for most, most of the games. That would be Leach, not necessarily all because they've shown that they don't have to pick spinners when they don't want to on green tops certain times of year. But then a combination of God willing, Joffre Archer and Mark Wood when fit, Ollie Robinson, an absolute must, Broad, Anderson, and Potts. So, and sort of in the wings, Saki Mahmood, let's not forget him. A fair bit of excitement about him and uh, in the Lions. And Sam Curran, potentially. And so, well, unbelievable that we're not mentioning he the sorts man. That, of the, he of the he sort of sorts yeah. that
1: problem as well, doesn't he? Down the order, so maybe it, Wokes. He
0: really does. So w- Wokes white- is a long way down the pecking order, but he's but he's not he's not out of the running for the white ball. And you know, and in India, the, the, Chris Wokes has got one of the best records in the first ten overs in a power play for taking wickets in in fifty over cricket in the last six years, and that's a vitally important role.
1: Listen, I there was times when I remember just. A few months before the 19 World Cup, Wokes sat down in the West Indies and said, "I'm not finished yet." <laughs> and it was with his you nearly know, had this chronic knee problem, and he sort of, he, he, I think he was 29 then, maybe something like that. And he said, "You know, yeah, I should be all right. You know, just don't retire me off just yet." <laughs> so. Four years have passed, four years down the line since then. So he has got a few miles on the clock. But I mean, great servant. Nobody wants to see the end of Chris Wilkes. But I just wondered if he was someone who might not get the, not get to go on his own terms. I don't know. Uh, Another one who fits that bill might be Jason Roy. Jason Roy is running out of road a little bit, isn't he?
0: Because he's yep. already, well, he already coughed up his
1: T20 spot. The he absolutely, 50, he most old, I mean, definitely is.
0: And he, he's, he's going to need to get back into form, and, and back into form quite quickly. He's going to have to show selectors that he... That, because at the moment, it's the same sort of problem happening time and time again. And there's a fear that it's a, a terminal decline that he's in. He also doesn't play enough cricket elsewhere. I mean, you notice with other players that they are trying to get games playing first-class cricket or whatnot. I mean, actually, Jason Roy's decline can be um, timed to the moment that he was mysteriously reprimanded for an event that is still yet to be explained, uh, and then he didn't feature for Surrey at the start of the county championships. He didn't, just didn't feel bat on ball. Uh, he got very little cricket, really, in the English summer, and every time he did play it was in high-profile matches, and he didn't have a good time of it. So I think you're right. He's somebody who's definitely um, up against it, in terms of other people on their way out or unlikely that we're unlikely to see again. I think we've seen the last of Lee's in all probability. Um, He's just been named in the, the lion
1: squad though. Which
0: I know. Is interesting, it's, it's, isn't it? It is. It is interesting. I suppose, you know, look, people can get injured as well. Can't they? But the, at the top of the order, England have got an issue because they've got, and we've mentioned this on the program before. So, a really important thing for England this year is how does Johnny Bairstow come back from injury and when does he come back from injury? Because a fit Johnny Bairstow creates actually all the headaches and he sends a certain a whole load of other players receding into into the memory banks, doesn't he? Um, if Johnny Bairstow's not fit, doesn't come back. So it's a really bad break. We do wish him the absolute best, of course we do, but no one knows how he come back from injuries like this then that does actually sort of change the landscape. So we've got one really big uncertainty there, haven't we? Which, which I suppose we'll start to get some inkling of around April, May time.
1: Yeah, and I think, I thought also, it wouldn't it be a crying shame if we didn't get to see peak self actualized fully mm. evolved Johnny Bairstow against Australia in, a te- <laughs> in, in an Ashes series? Because actually that'd be the big miss because Johnny Bairstow in that barrel-chested, pumped-up, King of the castle vibe against the Aussies in an Ashes series. That's what we want to see. We don't want to miss out on that. Um, one of the name to throw at you who who looks a bit further away than they've been for a while is Don Bess. You know, played a few test matches, Don Bess. Was part of that South Africa series that was such a good almost like the sort of the late Indian summer of, of the Joe Root captaincy. Moved to Yorkshire to get loads of first class cricket and sort of play a full season as, as first choice spinner and now finds himself still behind Leach, surely behind Rian Ahmed after one game. And albeit he's gone to Australia to play a bit of grey cricket or whatever and sort of expand his horizons a bit. But in the Lions squad that has just been put out, the Red Bull squad, he's behind uh, Jack Carson and Liam Patterson-White. So this is a guy who was potentially, because he was a good package, decent back, good fielder, looks a bit further away than he has been. And he's... So he's got a bit of work to do, I think, before we see him again.
0: Somebody who's come back into the frame, uh, not gonna spend any time on him, but Dan Lawrence, which a little bit of a surprise to me. I mean a a pleasant surprise at that, but he's not been forgotten in the selector's thoughts in Red Ball at any rate. Uh I think we're gonna get an idea of England's white ball plans when they play these two series um against South Africa and Bangladesh, because I tell you, the England's fifty over team. It's a long, long time since they won that World Cup and they've played very few games indeed in the intervening three and a half, nearly four years. So where you used to be able to trip off the tongue what the 11 would be, 11 stroke 12 for England, depending on conditions, whether and Alley would play or not, you know, if you're at Cardiff, no. If you're not at Cardiff, then yes. Then I'm not sure that you do know England's team at the moment. So that's going to be kind of really good fun watching that. I think we've talked to death about what the England's, test team looks like. And there's It's really about rotating bowlers that we've mentioned and how they solve the top of the order. I want to just finish with the women's team uh, both in T20 and in the Ashes which obviously include T20 element as well as 50 over and test cricket because there are players that are coming through in ways that they haven't for years. There's a great slew of them. Uh, I don't think we're going to see any more new faces between now and the Ashes. I think they have been introduced and blooded I guess the question is, well, who's going to be for whom is this a last chance saloon? And I'm going to kick off with Lauren Winfield Hill. This feels to me like Lauren Winfield Hill's last last hurrah for England. She's going to have to do something spectacular to keep going into 2024. And who's going to be the one that that really excites and enthuses us this year? And I'd love it to be. I hope it's going to be. Um, after recovering from a collarbone injury, I hope it's going to be Alice Capsey because I think she could be a genuine superstar of women's cricket.
1: Yeah, I agree on all fronts, really. I think equally, I think the emergence of Lauren Bell in particular uh, threatens to sort of hurry Kate Cross a bit closer to the backup job than... Because she's done a great job, actually, Kate Cross, in in helping some of those newcomers through, but eventually there's going to be a bit of a crush at the door. Gonna to have to wait on the side. It could be Kate Cross, uh, and I also think, I think we've, uh, I think we've only scratched the surface with Sophia Dunkley as well. She looks like because there's so many younger players who've come in in the last 12 months. She looks like part of the furniture, but she's very young in her career. She's got such ceiling, uh, and and I suppose for the T20s, the big question is if they can get Charlie Dean into the T20 team, and does she ultimately? I don't know. Does she start putting pressure on Sarah Glenn? I don't know. I've, I don't know about that. But
0: she performed I, I, well enough me, in the West me, Indies.
1: That the question rises.
0: For me, Char- Charlie Dean. I mean, I was mentioning Alice Caps. She's sort of the, the the young coming through. To think that Charlie Dean, I'm not considering as young. Um, just the way she played in that controversial game at Lords. The the ticker she's got. The the competitive attitude. She is an all round package. She is a, a fantastic cricketer. I think they're going to try to get her into as many games as possible, especially playing against Australia, because she is tough as old boots, Charlie Dean. And that is exactly what they're going to need when you've got Alyssa Healy talking absolute drivel behind you. (laughs) you're batting. You need some some serious ticker. Well, that is the end of our preview review of 2022-2023. It's quite a quiet time in English cricket. At the moment, England's under 19 women's team has gone out to South Africa for a World Cup. It's a really exciting development—a women's under 19 World Cup. It's fascinating to see the young players coming through from a whole host of countries there. But uh, not—we'll really. be keeping an eye, obviously, on England. Uh, but for representative teams, for English representative teams, that notwithstanding, it's not really until the end of this month. So, Rory, we'll we'll concoct some ideas and be back with you a couple of times a week between now and um, and when things hot up, I guess.
1: We will. We'll see you there.
0: Thanks for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket, in my case, and in your case, Rory, at the RVD. Never miss out. Join our 24 7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994 DM. Cricket every day your way. Odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Restlow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Restlow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Restlow, the business of sports betting podcast.